screw it up. <laughs> well, light tape. It's my fault. Let's do the volume on this. That wasn't low. I know. What's the? I'm gonna have to fix that in post. Oh, that means editing. That's not, that means not live to tape. I know. Slight minor minor editing. Hmm. Well, John, it's been three weeks. It's your fault. I blame you. It is my fault. It usually is. I mean, we I just, mean, to be fair, anytime I almost anytime I ask you if you want to record, you. I'm you, pretty. Open. You agree? Yeah. I do my best to be somewhat available i figure worst case i'll cram the night before or the or the day of and I'll, we'll make something of it yeah well before i forget to mention this we should mention um <clears throat> so what do, we, what do we know about Dreamforce at this point uh the red hot chili pepper is going to be there oh yeah so i won't go to that although my wife might you won't go because you don't like them or you won't go because you're old uh both <laughs> Um, yeah. You know, Red Hot Chili Peppers was one of the first C- CDs I ever bought, and I had to beg my father to buy it because it was their album. Uh, I think it was called "Suck My Kiss" or something like that. No, and uh, my father saw that title and he looked at me and goes, "Really? Yeah, that sounds inappropriate, John." Yeah, that was the first CD I owned. The first CD you owned, first bit, bit of music I owned. Yeah, wow, that was mine. That I. Well, I mean, I didn't physically buy it. I mean, I didn't have money back then, but it was mine. It was yeah. what was bought for me. Interesting. It wasn't. I just thought I'd toss it in there. <clears throat> um, yes, I don't know. Yeah, it's got, I'm not going, so I'm not really paying peppers. too much attention. Um, we do have a, um, a meetup scheduled. There's a Good Day Sir meetup. Hang on a second. I got to... Turn these noise gates back off because it's too aggressive. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a meetup. What day is it? It's Thursday, I think. Let me look real quick. So everyone needs to mark their calendar. It's going to be at the McKellar Bar. Cool. Which is just off of Market Street. It's a pretty close walk. It actually happens to be. Is that the one we've gone to before? Yeah. Well, I think we always go there. Yeah. Not much of the way of noshing. Just mainly beer, right? Is that um, no, they got pretty good. They have like good bar food. Okay, yeah. Can't remember if that was that or there was some other place that we went to that just didn't really have many options. Oh, um, cellar maker. Yeah, yeah. I think they're still there. Um, but we were we, we, interesting. We were trying to figure this out the other day in in the Slack. There was a place right right around the corner from Cellar Maker that was uh, uh what's it called? City Beer Store. City Beer Store? Something like that. I forget. Hmm. And I couldn't find it on the map. And I'm like, crap, do they go out of business due to COVID? And then I'm like, I swear it was right across the corner. Maybe maybe it was actually... And so <laughs> then someone, I think, I think I forget who it was, maybe Scott Wells, is, you know, I think he clued us in that it was the City Beer Store. And then I, I looked it up on the map. I'm like, wow, that's far from Cellar Maker. And I was thinking, man, if I don't remember walking that far, I must have been really drunk by the time we got there. <laughs> But it turns out, they, so first thing I was worried, they, were, they went out of business because I couldn't find them on the map anymore. Around mm-hmm. there. But no, they they actually moved to this a different location. Okay, I don't know, a year ago or something like that. Just I think it's a bigger location maybe. Mm. But it's way further south. It's south? Is that the right direction? No, it'd be west, I guess. West. Yeah. Um, down market. But 
So that's kind of a bummer because that was a cool place. And they had food too. Pretty good food. Yeah. Well, walking in anywhere in San Francisco is a bit risky. I mean, and I'm not talking about danger wise. I'm talking about you see something on the map and you think it's just from here to there. But to get there, you might have to climb like a 45 degree hill. Oh, yes, that's true. <laughs> For like a mile. <laughs> yeah. So definitely, yeah. definitely need to look at the like the topographical map. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that's Thursday. Our the Good Day Sir meetup is Thursday um, at four o'clock. So that's Thursday's the last day of Dreamforce. So this is like when, as soon as pretty much when Dreamforce wraps up. Mm-hmm. You head over to McKellar Bar to the Good Day Good Day Sir meetup. Um, there's a uh, there's an event right for it in the Slack on the Conversations channel. So go and register for that. Just so I think we have an idea of how many people are coming. Yeah, and Jeremy's going to try to get rid of some stickers. I will. In fact, I'm going to send out a batch before Dreamforce. So everyone, info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. Get your Email us, get your sticker requests in so that you can have them for this batch before Dreamforce. What else? I feel like there's something else about Dreamforce that I wanted to mention, but I uh, my brain sucks and I don't take good notes. So, no, oh, well, that's par for the course. I didn't realize it is. That is that is par <laughs> for my course. It just gets worse with the age because then things don't, you know, the, the, the synapses don't fire like they used to. They just no, kind of miss. No, they don't yeah. skipping a miss. Yep. And I, I do certain things that don't don't help the situation. <laughs> Not sleeping enough is probably one of those. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking something a little more destructive. Well, that too. Hmm. Well, I thought I'd ask you a question today because this has kind of been bugging me and it was kind of top of mind. Oh, and ask Jeremy. Yeah. What is a reasonable expiration date for GitHub tokens? So I don't I don't know if you know this, and maybe you've already switched to this or switched to this a long time ago, but they got they've gotten rid of their authentication username password authentication to github yeah and they're forcing you to use tokens mm-hmm. and i'm fine with that um, for, for for what type of authentication are we talking about here um anything that's not logging into the website pretty much any kind of integration or anything like that you're... what about what about just git because oh, I, I think i use ssh for all my github let me actually look real quick um what do you use um, I use an authentication, but rather than password authentication, you use a token. So you generate a token. You have to have that token. And so then you... how do I do it? Get remote dash V maybe, which should show yeah, me. Um, so I'm using, yeah, get at github.com. So I'm using SS. I think this is SSH. That's That might still be fine. Okay. Because you have to, you have your own. So the of, the other option for Git remotes is just like HTTPS, right? Mm-hmm. It can, and maybe for that they want you to use. Maybe. Either way, the, I don't know. Either way, the authentication mechanism requires that you use tokens. Okay. at least from and what I remember. So what do you have to do? Go into the GitHub UI and generate a token or something? Yeah, so okay. you generate a token, and it's you know you only get to see it once the first time you create it, and after yep. that you don't get to see it again. So you have to keep track of it, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. I've got I put it in one password and just keep track of it there, but. I, I had always, I'd used them before because I felt they were more secure than just using a password. Now, how, again, where did you use this token? Uh, so my Git CLI client is authenticated that way. What and is my that? IntelliJ. Do you use some kind of graphical CLI client or something? I have in the past, but even just using the CLI, just using the normal Git tools, it has to be able to connect to the remote somehow. And so yeah. I tell it, when I, when I use the remote, I can authenticate using my username and a token 
versus username mm-hmm. and password. And it usually stores that in the keychain. Um, but now, because of this authentication schema, I think it stores an auth token or something like that. I don't remember. I don't, I'm not an expert on that part. But anyways, so the options that when you generate these tokens is how long you want that token to live. You know, is it, yeah. does it never expire? Does it expire monthly? I thought, okay, I'm going to be diligent here. I'm going to have it expire monthly. But it's turning out to be a bit of a pain. Every month, I'm having to go in and reauthorize, you know, my clients. And um, so I was wondering, is it reasonable to, to say six months? Is it reasonable to say never expire? This is this is one of the, it, it, this reminds me of like, you know, password policies as well. Um, yeah. You know, there are studies that show that these password policies that require people to change their passwords frequently. That, did I say that right? That require them to change their mm-hmm. um, their passwords frequently to actually tend to result in crappier passwords and more issues um, yeah because i'll do my password one two or, three uh, yeah and you can have i mean password strength policies as well that prevent that mm-hmm. um but there's other i think cultural practices that are that, that are kind of negative consequences of that so i don't know um you know were you changing your github password every 30 days before no i actually had it not expiring and I didn't think much yeah. of it. But then, you know, you do see, you hear about all these things about security and, and access issues and people getting into someone's keychain or whatever, you know, somehow getting access to all this information. And I'm just going, okay, well, maybe I'll be a little diligent here and, and start doing this. But it seems like every time I try to do that, it ends up just being more work for me. And I don't know that it's any secure than it was before. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, there are, like I said, there are companies that do have policies that require that. Um, and there are, you know, these services out there, kind of security or auth services that um, that do things like, you know, for your whole enterprise mm-hmm. um, can do like all, completely like automated key rotation. So, mm. you know, all of your systems that connect to other systems and authorize like somehow or another, their thing, the solution kind of slides in there and automatically rotates keys and things like that. Um, without people having to do it manually, which is kind of cool, I guess. But seems like a I, point of failure. What's the theory that? behind, like you know, rotating your key? Is it that well, if you rotate it every thirty days, then um, if someone gets a hold of your key fifteen days, then they can only use it for fifteen more days. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of it doesn't yeah. it doesn't take long to steal the family jewels, you know, if you have someone's key. That's true. It's not like. If you give them, oh, they only had two weeks. Maybe they didn't. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so, I don't know. I feel like if, if your key gets compromised by a bad actor, you are hosed whether or not you have a seven-day, 30-day, 365-day rotation policy. I kind of agree with that. And I'll, I'll, t- I'll let you in on a little secret um, of something that happens to me all the time when I have to change passwords frequently. Inevitably, I will copy and paste because I use a tool like 1Password or something, and I need to copy that string into the, whatever field I'm putting it in doesn't always auto fill for me on occasion. I have pasted that sucker into to the username and hit enter, which means I've posted that password now. Oh, so that's burned. Yeah. You have to, so you I have, have to, to redo it. Yeah. And I, yeah. I just wonder, you know, if this, this constant, that. you know, rechange your password, do this is not just exposing you to it's just increasing the surface area of where you're going to make a mistake. That's going to somehow, Publish that information somewhere. Yeah, um, I've you know, <clears throat> I mean, have you ever committed a, a token into Git or anything and pushed it up to like? Well, like, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, and so that's, that's you have part. a config file and you're logging in. I've you have to that. test something and you te- log into a production org and that token's in there and you commit it. 
Yeah. I've, I've done that a few times easily. And yeah. but of course, as soon as you, as soon as you realize that you got to, you just got to um, invalidate that token. And right. Yeah. You know, and then obviously, you know, push a commit up that takes that out, but it's, it's in history. It's already mm-hmm. been pushed. You know, it's already in people's, you know, get cash on their computers, whatever that the, the object store, whatever the hell it's called, you know, it's everywhere. So you got to, it's definitely burned. So I don't know. I, I'm not real um, opinionated on whether they should expire, how often they should expire. I mean, like I said, if you're if you're doing the other, everything else right, keeping your token in a secure place, you know, mm-hmm. um, using it in the right way, then to me personally, I don't know. I don't think like a frequent. I'm not a, I'm not the type to have like a frequent rotation policy. Yeah. What do you What are your thoughts? Is this, a, by the about, way, is this GitHub's personal access token? Is that what they call it? I guess, yeah. They're an alternative to using passwords for authentication to GitHub when using the GitHub API or the command line. Yeah. The command line. Oh, the, for Git, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, one First, thing I do like about generating tokens is that I can generate them for specific, specific clients. So I could have one specifically for IntelliJ. I can have one specifically for the CLI. So if... If there is any traffic on that token, I should be able to identify which one. Or if I need to, to invalidate a token, I can invalidate specifically for you that You can see activity by token? I don't know if you can, but my theory is that if I'm noticing something weird with a client or I get rid of a client, I can invalidate that token and I know that I'm good. Here's the other thing. I mean, so let's let's talk about the whole purpose of tokens for a second. Um, so I think that's people tend to forget about this, including me, but... It's really the idea that you can um, create different tokens for different uses mm-hmm. so that you can, like we just said, track the activity of that token. But also, if you need to invalidate a token, you can invalidate that one token, which should affect just the one thing that was using it and mm-hmm. not affect the other thing. So, you know, one of the big cases for tokens is, let's say you use some third-party build service that needs your GitHub token or needs to access your GitHub, right? So you create a token with a, and usually when you create a token, can't you create a, cert, a specific like kind of scope for it as well? Like, well, yeah, certain, that was, was okay. going to add on to what you're saying and that the, the other very important part about these tokens is you can, is you can define the scope, which is what that token has permissions to. Right. Um, so you can, you can have something that's more open for say some kind of administrative tool, or you can have something that's more restrictive for something that's primarily just for reading information. Yeah. And so let's say you, you know, you create a, you create a, a token to, so that your, you know, your Jenkins server can use that to pull down your, you know, access your Git stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, let's say at some point you, there's some, you got some weird activity on your Jenkins server and you think maybe it was compromised. You just go in and immediately yeah. kill that token, generate a new one for it after you short up whatever the security problem you thought you had was but all your other tokens for your other things that use that are connected yet are, are just fine right you know you don't have to whereas if you're just using username and password you gotta reset your password and that just kills everything yeah so i don't know that's i think that's one of the big purposes but i'm just looking at so i kind of scroll down here on get github's thing so personal access tokens can only be used for https so like for the git command line or and i guess any git operations <clears throat> If your repo uses an SSH remote URL, you need to switch the remote from SSH to HTTPS. So I would have to do that because I think I use SSH for... Yeah, I think there's a certain that. amount of grandfathering going on right now for for the older schemes. Because I didn't have that issue until I think when I loaded up this machine. And I think that policy was already in effect and I had to start using tokens. Yeah. <clears throat> hmm, that's interesting. Your pat. 
personal access token. Yeah. Or your uh, <laughs> point after touchdown. Points after touchdown, I guess. Depending on whether you're kicking or uh, going for a two-pointer. All yeah. right. Well, yeah. beyond that, I've just kind of been working on some lightning stuff. It's It's kind of been bugging me again. Hmm. It just seems that the more I get into it, the more I get frustrated. I mean, it's not like it's all bad. I mean, I hate to complain. I mean, obviously, the stuff that's bad is top of mind. I mean, there are good parts of the framework and things like that. But I was just kind of doing some more, trying to work on efficiency, trying to work on chaining um, calls to my Apex controllers, try to include some Salesforce API calls, like get object infos and things like that from inside LDC, and it's not a good idea. Because anything with caching enabled, for some reason, breaks the promises. And I think that's because it never completely runs whatever method is supposed to be inside of there. I thought you weren't supposed to break promises. Well, you're not, but it does. Mm -hmm. Um, Either that or it breaks it and delays it, or somehow it times out. Because I was noticing something quirky with anything that had caching enabled, which means Salesforce looks at the data, decides whether or not that data has changed. And if it does, then it doesn't call, it doesn't do anything with the framework. It doesn't call any methods, doesn't do anything, just kind of skips past. And that's for performance reasons. It's it, it goes and decides whether or not data's changed, and if not, then don't try to re-render anything on the screen. But a lot of us, the way we use these methods is we collect information, then we act on that information immediately. So we either kind of normalize it or, or transform it into something that's going to be usable for our UI, which means that when caching is enabled and some parts that make up that data, maybe we're compositing data. Um, you do a call and get a bunch of records or get the object info, and then you're compositing some new data structure that you're going to use for your layout. Yeah. Well, if you need to refresh something that's that's mm-hmm. part of that composite, but not the object infos, and you try to refresh object info, and object infos is, is a bad example because that's always going to be static for the most part, unless the admin's in there poking around. But in instances where you have anything that's making cache calls to a cacheable interface, um, it's just not going to call that that code. So you can't really use refresh apex very well because if you, if you're compositing within that response method, um, things just aren't going to work. So you end up turning it all off and and that kind of leads to other performance issues because now you have, now you have all these things kind of running however they want with wired because there's no orchestration with wired methods. What are wire methods? Um, they're just basically shorthand ways of, of telling Salesforce that you're going to call this method. It's cacheable. Go and handle all the details of making the call and just, chunk the response back into this variable uh, okay. or or send that response back to this function and have it do some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it primarily just kind of signals to the framework that he, that this method is cacheable and to do your normal cacheable things that you would do. Like the output of a, a method call is cacheable? Yeah. Okay. So if you call that same method again with the same parameters or whatever, it's, it returns you some cache result automatically? It does. It has something to do with the framework, and I'm not an expert at, at understanding what wire is, and I probably should, given that I'm trying to get and use it more advancedly. But all, all I can do is kind of derive from my experience and 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 what I'm seeing as I try to use it, as I try to build stuff. Uh, and that's just kind of what I'm noticing. I noticed that it, that because uh, I was trying to use eight all promises, basically collect an array of things that I need to happen, let them all kind of run asynchronously, but after everything is run deal with the response of that. And it seemed like if anything was cacheable in that array, any of the task items in that array that needed to be executed was cacheable, I wasn't getting back 
a response. Or if I was, it was kind of weird. I was getting response, but then something else would respond late. And it would cause my UI to do weird things, mainly because I had a a indicator, a spinning indicator mm. telling me. Mm. So the, the page would load and I'd watch it. And then all of a sudden the spinner would come up I'm like, what's going on? And it wouldn't go away. <laughs> so for some reason it re-executed or, or somehow reinitialized it and then never went away because I don't know. That's the other tough thing with it's like <clears throat> where it's like an all closed source kind of system is like, it's very hard to figure out why things are doing what they're doing. Um, I think the framework might be open source. I just well, well, maybe once upon a time it was. So part, I don't know. If yeah, it is part, like I think part of it is you know. Yeah. Um, but then you know it's connecting to. I don't know. Maybe maybe that part of it would be is open source, and you Probably can somehow not. track into that. Yeah, I, I don't know. But um, I also don't. I just I don't do much front end stuff anymore at all. Yeah. Actually, I've got a little side project that I'm thinking about kicking off, and I it would require me doing some front end stuff, but I'm not going to do it in LWC. (laughs) (laughs) I still, I don't know. I don't know where we are on like the framework wars, but I still like view. I I do like view. It's been a while since I've touched it. So I can't really speak to any of the latest features, but same with me, but I I do like it. I mean, I, it, it it takes some getting used to um, just because you, you, especially when you're doing, getting together like a data store in your navigation, it's not, it's kind of their modules of the framework. So you have to kind of learn how to use those. Other than React, man, React is, is they, they really nerded out a little bit too much on React. I know people are going to disagree with me on that, but it's like so decoupled and it the actual React does so little. You have to like plug in all these different things to get any yeah. actual thing to function. Um, whereas Vue comes with more stuff, probably a little more opinionated maybe. Um, yeah. Although almost everything it comes with is like swappable. So if you don't want views, you know, canonical implementation or something. You can swap it in for some other thing that's, you know, tickles your nerd fancy better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, with, with, with lightning, one thing that I think is happening is that it, everything is so compartmentalized. There's not a lot of interoperability to you <laughs> between components. They're very isolated and sure you can kind of, work it out with event systems or, or channel messages and platform events, all of which I'm doing. I mean, aren't components supposed to be kind of, you know, independent? I think they, and I think in the simplest way, yes. Low coupling, right? Yeah. And that, that sounds good. But the problem is when you're building an application out of isolated components, it's kind of tough to, to improve performance or oh, kind of, okay. because yeah. there's no, there's like, think about a view application. You know the entry point of the application, so you can do all your standing up right at that point, and then everything else kind of handles itself as it should. Yeah. But with Lightning, you don't get that opportunity because the entry point of the application is Salesforce starts up. Yeah. So you have no 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 ability to kind of optimize or pre-optimize in that startup phase. You just have to just load your component and do everything at that oh, point. Every, every time the component loads. Every time the component yeah. loads. Yeah. So it's kind of tough to kind of optimize or kind of share resources in certain ways without kind of creating a ton of other components that are meant only for for interoperability. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I wonder if that's just an intractable problem of, of Salesforce's kind of front-end architecture. Um, you know, because obviously one of the benefits of it is you have this kind of on one screen like this multi-vendor kind of mashup kind mm-hmm. of capability, which in some cases is, you know, you can do some pretty cool stuff with that. Yeah. I mean, the ability for ISVs to add value to like existing screens and 
in everything from full applications to just little, you know, little blocks on this, you know, a little individual block on a screen or something. I mean, that's, that's pretty darn cool. And they do it in a way that supposedly is secure. You know, you can't, you know, they prevent components from different, different sources, blunt, you know, mm-hmm. kind of reaching into other ones and yeah, all that stuff. I know there's some challenges with that, that downstream from that, that that creates, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I wonder if the, the price we pay for that kind of interoperability is just this performance and again, something that's a really difficult problem to solve. Yeah. And I've, tr- I've tried to solve it by having like a top level component that ends up being like the main app component, but still mm-hmm. interacting with the child components is still very difficult. It's, it's isolated because of the way shadow Dom works. So it's not all Salesforce's frameworks fault. It's sometimes it's just the nature of the shadow Dom. Well, you should keep an eye out for, um, I'm this kind of tongue in cheek, but not really actually, um, for the, the the look at the when the have they announced Dreamforce sessions yet? Schedules. Anyway, I'm, I bet there's like there's going to be of course there's going to be a thousand different talks on LWC. I'm sure many of those will be like performance related. You know, yeah. probably some good. And I think they it seems like put, put a lot of those on YouTube nowadays. It seems Dreamforce gets more more videos than than some of the other mm. events, like more recorded sessions. Yeah, they have to remember to get people's consent. You know, I think they've forgotten to do that before. <laughs> they can't. <laughs> Can't publish it, but uh, yeah. Um, oh, one one annoyance that I just had to say is why whenever you get object infos from using the API. So what are you mean? What object info? This is just like the message. It's just an API call that about, Salesforce gives you to yeah. get. It's it's equivalent to the get describe right, on okay. an object, uh, although it's not equivalent because uh, <laughs> <laughs> this was really annoying. Because what I was building is I was building a front end interface to some, some metadata settings that I have. And the way you configure those settings is you give it a list of record types to to watch. Basically, some automation runs, and it says, okay, is this one of the record types I'm supposed to run on? Hmm. And it runs. And so before I built this interface, you had to go into the metadata setting as an admin and put in the record type developer name in a comma delimited or semicolon delimited uh, list of text. And so I'm building this front-end UI so that it's easier to to maintain that, which basically is here's a list of record types. Now pick the ones you want and I'll handle saving it the way it needs to be saved. Well, because I'm storing the developer name, object infos, whenever it tells you what record types are available for this object, it gives you the record type ID and the label, but not the API name. So I had to revert to, to doing, creating a, a controller method that, that basically said, here's an object. Now go get me the record types so that I could return the name, the label, and the record type, um, as well as other things that I yeah. want to ignore, like I want to ignore master and all that kind of stuff. But it was just kind of one of those minor annoyances of why doesn't it match? Why does it have to be different? You know, one thing that just reminds me, kind of related, that I've always wished you could do, and, and maybe you can now, but I, if so, it's news to me. And that is, let's say you're creating an account record. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be a certain record type. Mm-hmm. But you, and let's say this is like a, I don't know, I guess, I guess it could be Apex or something, but let's say this is, because um, I do integrations a lot, let's say I'm calling the, the REST API, Salesforce REST API, and, you know, building my kind of account structure, let's say it's, I'm using, you know, it's JSON, right? And then, uh, but I don't want to hard code record IDs, or sorry, record type IDs. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we have, you know, the developer name for on record types, right? I would hope so. But it's. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's set up as a as an external ID. Oh, so, so you, you can't, can't do record type dot developer name. Yeah, that kind of sucks. And again, unless that's changed, in which case that would be news to me. But 
so I still, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things like on these integrations, like I'll have a, there'll be a configuration set that's like for testing and then a configuration that's like for production. And the, mm-hmm. they've got, they both got record IDs. Here's the record IDs for the sandbox. Here's the record. Cause a lot of times they're different. Yeah. And it, it's another thing that's so annoying. And you should expect them to be different. They're, and I don't even want to know about record type IDs. Yeah. I really don't want to know about them. You know, yeah. querying, it's not a problem because you can always query, you know, record type dot name right. or whatever it is, developer name, I guess. And you get that back and you can, you know, regardless of which environment you're in, that record, that developer name is always going to be the same. The ID might be different, but I don't ever want to have to deal with that ID. And when cre- you're creating records, I think you have to pass a record type ID. I don't think you can pass the developer name. It's just, like I said, I don't think it's set up as an external ID. And I, I guess I, I'm almost sure, I'm almost positive I've tried that before. Surely I have. It, it could be a symptom of the fact that record types by name um, don't include a, a namespace. So you could technically have two record types, I believe, with the same developer name, but namespace differently. I mean, for a different object or something? Or what do you... What do no, you... for the same object. Oh, you're saying like a package couldn't add a record type? Right. Okay. And it's namespace, so it, it'll it go in. Oh. And I, I think that's probably why... I, th- I think that's why we see this kind of different way of handling things is because some things like record types are namespaceable. Is that a... For work. That's no, that's really interesting because objects are namespaced, fields are namespaced, but record types within objects, I don't think those are namespaced, are they? They're namespaced by field, but not by, but re- not by name schema. Yeah. So right. like a, a label, or I'm sorry, a field name would get the namespace tacked onto its API name. Yeah, because really the the record types themselves and their developer names. Those are not metadata. Those are actually, those are data. It's really data, actually, which mm-hmm. is, I think, why it's it's just challenging to namespace those. Yeah. Hmm. I hadn't thought about that would be the reason, but man, I wish they would fix that because it's a bummer to have to deal with that. Yeah, I mean, it might, it might, it, I mean, there's probably ways to fix it by kind of layering on a whole nother interface that says, I don't know, namespace developer name or something. I don't know, unique developer name as a field that would basically accomplish that or API name. I wonder if they regret calling things developer name instead of just like API name or something. I think so. Um, Because the general pattern with Salesforce is it's a name and label. You have the, like a create a custom object or or a custom field. You have the, the name, which has to, which has to come, you know, comply to be like a valid token. So no Mm -hmm. spaces, you know, can have underscores. Right. And then you have the label, which can have spaces and that's what's shown to users. But they screwed up on record type. Yeah. They made the name the label, or what they what's the label they called name. Right. Okay, so you just burned that field. You burned up name. You can't use it for the actual developer name and the things. So you have to create another field called developer name. Yeah. That's one of those things I'm sure that you know, people <laughs> that used to work at Salesforce twenty years ago would would like to have that back. Yeah. Whoever designed that. I have a I have a hunch on who, a couple of people that might have been involved with that, but I won't. I won't name and shame. <laughs> they also don't work at Salesforce anymore. Yeah. Um, so is that what you wanted to say about the metadata API? I was going to say something else because I actually started working with it's it's weird and it's hard to find documentation on it because it's not easily Googleable. Googled. What's, what's the, uh, either I think either, uh, and that is there's a metadata namespace that has a metadata class in it that lets you interact with the metadata. Um, 
but it only supports very limited things. Like it supports custom metadata and it supports layouts. So you can read layouts. I don't know if you can deploy layouts, but you can read and deploy uh, custom metadata. This is an Apex namespace? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So this is just your way of, in Apex, interacting with the metadata API, but it's very limited in what it can accomplish and what it can do. Yeah. I think uh, I think it was Andrew Fawcett has a library out there um, that he wrote a long time ago that basically interacts with the entire API, just kind of puts a wrapper around all of the metadata API, REST API methods. Oh, the rest. And gives you objects and things for interacting with it. But Well, yeah, there was, um, I don't know if it's the one you're thinking of, but I remember there, um, oh, we're in a common technique because uh, you, know, you have a problem of the the metadata API in, in Apex is either so limited or I can't remember if there's a security thing, but people would do what I would I would call the reach around, the, the metadata <laughs> reach around, whereas you call... The Salesforce REST API, I think it was a REST API, mm-hmm. for its, because you can, no, no, I'm sorry. You'd call the metadata, the, the, the web-based metadata API from Apex. Okay, yeah. And then you then you had full access to the all of the metadata a, API. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so this is kind of short-circuiting that. The, what's nice about the classes is because it's a built-in namespace, you don't have to worry about authenticating to the API. And especially when you're in the context of Lightning, which has a different, uh, I, don't, I don't know, scope is the right word or what, but you're basically, the, your auth token that you have for Lightning, your session, is not compatible with the Apex session. So mm. you can't just pass sessions around and start it making to API be. calls. I don't know if you can still do this, but you used to be able to, a lot of this changed when Salesforce kind of at a fundamental level, um, it seems like they switched over to their, kind of their the way their session IDs Mm-hmm. work because they used to be just purely like i think like a java session id of some sort and then they when they it's i think it's really when they really integrated oauth at a pretty low level at salesforce um that that changed that session id changed but you could still you could still take it i don't remember if it was a whole session id so i'm talking about in the browser the session id cookie i forget mm-hmm. what it's, maybe it's called something else but you could use that you could you could go into your browser or whatever and do, or document dot what is it cookies or whatever and grab mm-hmm. grab that session ID <clears throat> and then use it to make API calls. Yeah, I don't know if you can do that. I don't know if you can do that anymore either. Yeah. I, you probably can't. Probably not. Which actually, I, there's been a couple of points I kind of wanted to segue because one thing I this is probably a boring topic, but I was. Um, I was on the Salesforce's help page the other day. I thought I put it in here. <clears throat> uh, OAuth flows. Yeah, there are different OAuth flows. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, there's a lot of different OAuth flows here. <clears throat> I mean, I think the ones where everyone's used to are... Um, so, you have, so you have the web server for flow, for like web app author. So let's say you have a third-party web app mm-hmm. that you know processes insurance claims, and it's going to integrate with Salesforce. Um. For that flow, uh, since you, since you're on a, a web server which is theoretically secured, then you can protect on your on your web app can protect the not only the client ID but also the the secret right the OAuth mm-hmm. secret. And so you get a little bit. I forget what now. I think you get you can you can get refresh tokens and th- and stuff when you use that flow. And I and you know of course you don't have to store any of the of the actual um, users. Mm-hmm. The, 
the resource owner. I think yeah. that's what Owat calls it. <laughs> Owat has weird words for everything. It's just like, it's bizarre. But yeah, you don't have to store the resource owner's uh, credentials um, because I just you just... I wasn't small and smart enough to understand these names. Yeah, I know. I'm just like, God, it's... Yeah, I just have to kind of re- reread their glossary over and over until I get it in through my head. Like, yeah. resource owner means person. Resource owner, person. Or user. You know, the kind of, yeah. you, you think user, but no, they don't call it user. There's some really smart people that have developed languages that were very... They had a great vocabulary because I learned words all the time <laughs> that I just would never have used in other contexts. Yeah. Um, but I, so, and I, I work a lot with um, the, just the user, username and password flow, which you're not supposed to use. <laughs> so let me see what Salesforce says about that. Um, in fact, they, the way they, what they call it now is username password flow for special scenarios. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and they say, you can use the username password flow to authorize a client via connected app um, that already has the user's credentials. So if your app already has the user's credentials, if you've grabbed, if you've got the user to give you their credentials through some form or whatever, then you can use that. I think that special case is its legacy tech that uh, well, I can't be rewritten. I do use that often when I'm lazy, like on integrations and things, mm-hmm. which I mean, I've, I can, I mean, it's my connected app. It's my user account, and I and the server is secured. So, big deal, right? Um, but they don't recommend it because it passes the credentials back and forth. Mm. Well, okay, it does. But if we're saying that we don't trust HTTPS between, you know, people on the internet and Salesforce, then we have bigger problems. <laughs> I don't like, think that's the issue. I think it's the well, issue of not being able to trust that external app to secure that uh, password. I think that's by far the bigger practical yeah. concern, right? Is yeah. that Joe Blow is probably not a security expert, doesn't know how to harden his server, you know? Yeah, he just stuck it in the config file and put it on Git. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dumbass. <laughs> um, yeah, it says, use it only if there's a high degree of trust between the resource owner and the client, which is, which is in my scenario, that's the only time I ever use it. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I have a high level of trust because it's me. It's <laughs> just me. <laughs> Um, but I have started using the, um, what's this other one called? It's the JWT. What do they call that? Um, JWT bearer flow. Oh, I so, that was so John this, with tacos. Huh? I thought that was John with tacos. John with tacos? Yeah. Oh, that's happy, John. <laughs> um, I'm using that more because they, you know, that's kind of what they want you to use for, I think for this scenario that I, that I use a lot. Um, and in way that the way it works is you your application? Gosh, do I not have this? Do you hear that? Yeah. Okay. Let me. Was that you or me? Yeah, it was me. Okay. Um, I forgot to do this. Focus. Do not disturb. Um, the way this works is your application. Um, you of course you've created a connected app in Salesforce mm-hmm. for it, and you have to give Salesforce. Your, you have to have a you know a, a digital like an X.509 certificate that you've configured with your with your connected app in Salesforce mm-hmm. because what you're going to do is when anytime you want to authenticate with your app you have to create a, a JWT which with you know specific like fields in it that Salesforce is expecting like um that has to buy, it has to be like your client ID and the I don't think it even has to have the secret um for this flow. 
<clears throat> I forget. But then some information about the user, like I think you can put the username in there. Mm-hmm. And then you, because, you know, you have this certificate with the secret key, you sign that JWT with your certificate, mm-hmm. which then puts like a, um, a signature on the certificate. And then when that gets sent to Salesforce in your authorization request, Salesforce looks at the token and they look at the digital signature and they can verify because they have the public copy of your certificate. They can verify that, you know, that JWT, you know, un, unmodified was generated by your certificate. All right. And so then they trust whatever's in it. Um, and you can use unsigned certificate. I mean, un, what are they called? Self-signed certificates. Yeah. Which is, you know, I use often. And it's really easy with, um, I mean, you can generate certificates like just with OpenSSL. I use, I'm using um, just the Java. Java has like a key key tool, Java key tool. Um, it's JKS, Java key store. I forget what they call it. I don't know. But it's this, you know, it's a Java utility that you can use to create you know, certificates, key pairs, all kinds of crap. Um, but yeah, that's generally what I'm using. You know, the thing with that, though, is, you know, I mean... Now we're back to you have this somewhere on your on some disk. You have your certificate with its private key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of goes back to the same thing. <laughs> and if some if 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 my server resources get compromised, it doesn't matter whether I'm using user password flow or this token. Now, call back to our previous conversation. If you find out that your something's got compromised, or if you're afraid that something, if you discover, you know. Um, you have, you know, you don't know if you're compromised, but you discovered a security flaw in your system. You can go in there and just, um, how would you do this with that connected app? You just, because there's no token. Well, first of all, you could, you could kill any tokens that were generated from it, but you could also then, um, I guess you would just replace the the certificate. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Without having to reset your password and also without affecting, um, you know, any other apps that you have that use connected apps and you know, each have their own, right. um, their own, uh, OAuth, you know, what's it called? Con- uh, consumer ID mm-hmm. or the app ID, whatever the hell it's gone again, OAuth terms. <sighs> yeah, no, I mean that, that makes sense. I mean, versus connecting everything with the same password and it gets broken, but right. I'm using that JWT thing for these server based things now. Yeah. And it's weird, though, um, with these since it's not the web server. It's like it, the difference between one of the big differences between like the web server flow and this JWT flow is the web server flow is when you have a, an actual user that's in an interactive user session. Right. Because your web server is going to bounce them over to, in this case, Salesforce. Mm-hmm. And if they're not. Um, to, to authorize and it'll say, Hey, John's app, John's, what was it? Insurance. John's insurance app wants to, you know, to access your data and they can say yes or no. It's a taco finder app. Yeah. Taco. <laughs> I'm um, hungry by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I am too. I haven't eaten today. Um, but the JWT, there's no interactive user to authorize. There's no user around to authorize anything. So you have to pre-authorize. And so when you set up a connected app with, with this, you can, you can, first of all, you can set that administrators can pre-authorize the app, hmm. I think. And it's by profile. So I think you can say, kind of have to go back and look, but you can use profiles and 
and I think permission sets um, to specify like which types of users can pre-authorize. But yeah, I think somehow or another, and I don't, I don't ever do this because I don't ever have to pre-authorize anyone, but except for me. Mm-hmm. But but for non-admin users, if they're gonna, if this, if your service, your system, your app, or whatever is going to connect to Salesforce and access, you know, some random users' resources. So to pass that username in, that user has to have authorized that app. So they have to somehow go and can, can random, I don't ever, cause I don't ever log into Salesforce as a non-admin user. So that's, I always forget what non-admins can or can't do, mm-hmm. but I, I would suspect that non-admins can go into those connected apps. It probably is available in their setup menu. Maybe it's in the, my settings. Maybe. Then maybe there's like a list of connected apps and they can say, I want to author. There's some way they get in there. And they, they, it's called pre-authorization. So they can say, yeah, Jeremy's integration app can, can log in as me basically. Huh. I've never tried to use that kind yeah. of flow. So yeah, everything I've done has kind of just been centralized into a single kind of API stream with. I will say this is something that Salesforce has always been pretty good at. I mean, they're, of course, you know, they're an enterprise company. So like OAuth, SAML, these things are all table stakes. You, mm-hmm. you got to have them. Um, but I've never had any problem with, I mean, their implementation of this has always been good. I've been doing, you know, SAML federations for, since they came out with it, um, and OAuth, you know, and it's, it's always been rock solid. I've never had an issue. Yeah. I think the only issues I've had is, has been just understanding what that technology is and how it's used. It's not the implementation. It's just understanding what this oh, field yeah. is expecting to be put just, in here. Also, just conceptually, it can be hard to wrap your head around, but especially, you know, with these, whether it's um, like SAML Federation, um, where you've got these different systems that are trusting each other, mm-hmm. understanding that flow, those, the flows are kind of hard to, they can be hard to understand. Like, yeah. so they log in here and they get in the, in the some hidden form gets posted this other thing and it responds like, it's just like, and they get bounced back and forth. I mean, you know, it's that typical, you know, you go, gosh, go to log into like, go to log in to try to register for Dreamforce or go, or even like when you log into Trailhead or the, or the partner oh, portal, any of these things. I mean, yeah. I feel like, you know, you, you enter your credentials and you hit, you know, log in and you can just see, you just, you look at your URL bar. It's just, it's just bouncing between so many different mm-hmm. parties that are either accepting or, you know, needing a token or cashing a token and forwarding you some other thing. And it's just like, Bah, 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 bah. It's like bouncing you around. It's yeah. like, you feel like you're in the middle of a pinball game or something. <laughs> so it can be kind of hard to conceptualize those. I've just, I've done them so long now that a lot of this stuff is yeah, kind of second nature for me. And there's a bunch of other flows. That's kind of what was interesting to me that I don't know anything about. So there's the user agent flow for desktop or mobile apps. So that must be where you can't protect the consumer secret mm-hmm. because it's, the hardware is in random people's hands that you don't trust. Yeah. The phone, it's a, on someone's phone. So it's, it's a web app, right? Or, or, or a, um, not, not, I mean, I mean like a client based web app, not a server based or on their phone. You know, you can't keep, you can't publish your consumer secret in your web app so that it's, I'm mean, sorry, in your mobile app. I mean, you can, <laughs> you could, yeah, you can <laughs> so that every user who installs it, I mean, in the binary they get, or in maybe in like the, what are the we Apple settings the files called? I forget. Not uh, some readable. No, but even if it's in the binary, that's still that's still a deal breaker. That's considered you know not secure. Yeah, it's security through obscurity is what that would be. Yeah. Uh, authorization session session manager for hybrid apps. Mm, that's probably more of an ISV thing, maybe, or anyone building hybrid apps. Uh, c- 
OpenID Connect dynamic client registration for external IPA, API gateways. Open OpenID Connect token introspection. These are all different flows. Device flow for Internet of Things integration. <laughs> Asset token flow for securing connected devices. I mean, there's just uh, yeah, there's there's all there's SAML assertion flows. There's just like all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and they also support, I guess, OAuth 1.0 still. I was one of these that really resisted OAuth 2.0. Really? Why well, because there's there was one of the one of the main authors of OAuth one. He really railed against what they were doing with OAuth two, and I forget his arguments now. But I, they all made sense to me. I'm like, yeah, this is a problem. Like this is not a good direction. And so I kind of held out and kept anywhere I could still do OAuth one. I was doing OAuth one, mm. but that ship has sailed. Yeah, I don't think I had a had any issues with two. But I didn't. I didn't really nerd out on the spec or anything. So yeah, I just knew enough to to get it connected and make sure I could make calls. You don't read technical specs at night. Not if I can help yeah. it. I told you that'd be a boring conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's nothing I want to. Since I'm talking about integrations, I just put on the note here um, that I've been using. So uh, most people just thinking of our audience here, like if, with MuleSoft has this language. What is their What is their language called? Their data transformation language. Um, MuleSoft transformation language. Sorry. Data Weave. Data Weave. You ever heard of that? Sounds familiar. Oh, and didn't they implement, they brought Data Weave as a, I don't know if it's GA yet, but it's they ported it to Apex. Huh. Which is, I thought, great. Um, I forget how they did it. I don't, I, I'm sure, I think they tunneled in as a string or something, but it's a really powerful transformation language. I mean, stuff to where, you know, you used to, you know, you're, kind of writing all kinds of like apex code to like loop through things and filter and combine different collections and conditional filter and all that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, with data weave, you can, it's, it makes stuff like that easy. Um, now a lot of my integrations, um, I actually prefer to do, I my kind of go-to for transformations is, is Kotlin these days. Um, Java's gotten a lot better, but Kotlin still, I think is, um, my preferred language you can just write such uh especially with with java's um extreme based apis i call the collection support streams now mm-hmm. and and with kotlin um just the syntax get at gets out of the way um and like and then Kotlin also has this thing like every every expression is a value so uh, it just you can write just really readable nice beautiful but concise but not over concise not like pearl mm-hmm. shit um but Really concise and, and nicer. And also, here's the other thing. Testable. Mm. Very testable. So I unit test all my... Um, tra- or not, I'm going to say all. I mean, I typically, are gonna be, I'm going to unit test my my transformations. Um, and they're all... They're static as well. So it, it, um, I always build, like, you know, like models, usually in Java or Kotlin, of whatever the data representations are. So like Salesforce, I generate stubs based on the uh what do you call them object infos right <laughs> or whatever they're called <laughs> and so i've got like local representations of that so when i'm mapping things to them i mean it's and first of all i have ide completion on all everything um but also i can it, it you know i don't have to worry about it runtime i accidentally you know fat fingered a field name or something it, it literally is not going to compile or my id is going to like just right there it's not going to let me it's going to squiggly red squiggly it you know it's like oh, right. I yeah. spelled this field name wrong but also, yeah, like, I mean, code, you know, what's it called? C- code completion and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it all works right. So I, that's 
that's how I like to do things for, for most integrations. Um, but there's a, um, I noticed Camel has this component called Data Sonnet. And it's been there for a while. And I was looking at it, and it's Data Sonnet is based on this thing called JSONnet, which is really a, it's, it's really a JSON, JSON? Is it JSON or JSON? How do you say it? I say, I think I say JSON. JSON? I think. Okay, so it's a JSON, like, transformation language. So it's it's kind of, when you look at a Sonnet, a JSONnet transformation, it looks kind of like JSON, but it's actually not compliant JSON. But it's, Mm -hmm. you use this JSON-ish looking language to, um, to transform data. So it's used a lot in, like, and like system configuration like you can mm-hmm. you can produce people use it like to produce configurations so you you can feed it some data it goes through your transformations and then produces the actual output config files um well there's someone built something that sits on top of that called data sonnet and it's like the same kind of transformation language but it's got all this additional stuff for data transformations and it's incredibly similar to data wave um it's very powerful Hmm. And I've been using it more, and I'm working on an internal project right now that I've been working on this week, an integration project. And I thought I'm going to really, I'm going to do everything with J- with data on it on this. And it's the the other benefit of it. I, I think when especially when we're building integrations for clients, um, especially ones that I don't know, I don't I don't think they generally are looking at the the code right um, for these integrations. But if they were, I think it would be simpler because I can like I can have the whole integration basically in a in a file. I mean, similar to the way that um, you know MuleSoft. I mean, <clears throat> everything has to boil down to this giant XML file which contains your uh, your your integration configuration basically. Right. And and I think often you have to jump into that XML file to you know it's a it's an abstraction that is only worth drag you drop you only get you so far you know type of thing mm-hmm. and then you got to go down to the XML file and yeah fix stuff tweak stuff or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could, I could, I could do an, the whole integration just in a big file. It's, you know, the, the integration routes and loops and all that, you know, calls and responses and all that stuff, but also all the transformations just cause you can, I can embed just, just a string of this data sonnet right in there. So it's, it's kind of cool to be able to see everything in one file, but also I think any developer is like, yeah, I don't know. I liked it better when you had like, you know, each thing had its had its task, you know. What's the, what's the term? Um, um, single responsibility mm-hmm. principle, and like it was all things were cleanly separated. Place with version control better, way more testable, way more static. Um, so it's kind of just an experiment, and it's internal. So yeah, but it works right. And I mean, there's again, and there are things that again with data on it that I mean, like you can let's say you, um. Gosh, let's say you have uh, you need you need to get, look at all accounts from Salesforce and compare them to all companies in your billing system, and you need to figure out which ones uh, you know if there are any accounts that don't exist as companies in your billing system, if there are any companies that don't exist as accounts, right? You could just do a big Salesforce query, pulling all the accounts into memory, and a, and a query to pull all these companies from your billing system into memory, and then with data sign, there's like you know this outer join function, and you just mm-hmm. Tell it with with kind of with this kind of actually it's JavaScript. Um, you give it a function just to return like identity. So like let's say on your on your companies, there's on you know there's like a company ID field that's like the identity, mm. and that's going to match like some external 
ID field on, on Salesforce. You just tell it kind of what, what the fields are. And then it just lets us dig out or join in memory. You know, that's just, that's just one example. I'm just like, there's like really powerful transformation language for data. That's very cool. Yeah. Cause you're doing all that in flight rather than caching it in some database and then running. Right. And, right. Know. So it's one of those things. I mean, you always have to keep in mind how much memory you have, or if you, if you, um, if you really get out of control, then you go to like, uh, not Kafka. Um, uh, what's the, um, I forget. Uh, Salesforce uses it um, for a lot of stuff. It's just a giant in-memory kind of analytical database. It's an it's one of these Apache. It's not Hadoop, is it? No, it's it's actually the, kind of the predecessor to Hadoop. Um, or not predecessor, successor. <laughs> Spark. Spark. Okay. So yeah, I mean, if you if you're doing massive stuff, then yeah, you put up a Spark instance with gigs and gigs and gigs and gigs of memory. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'll show you to you sometime. This, uh... Why? So you can rub it in my face, <laughs> how you get to use all these cool tools. <laughs> and I'm stuck trying to figure out how to get LWC to, to act, behave properly. Yeah. It's, it seems to be getting slower. A few times I was cursing it and realized my connection was dropping. My internet connection was dropping. So I had to kind of walk back. But man, there was a few times this week that I was kind of yelling because... I was having some weird performance issues. I, I have some uh, some related topics here. So let's stick on connected apps for a minute. What happens to connect? Because this kind of bit me. Uh-huh. What happens to connected apps when you create a sandbox? Let's say you have a connected app. You define it in your production org. Uh-huh. And then you create a sandbox. Okay. So now you have that connected app in your sandbox. Does it have the same client IDs and secrets as production? Because I've... I don't know. So I've I swear I've always been able just to use the 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 connected IDs uh, or the connected apps ID and secret from production and it works on sandbox and everything. But like this week it wasn't working. I had to had to go grab the ones from the sandbox. I'm like I don't remember that being a problem. And then I wonder I wonder if it's I wonder if it's because I'm I'm using a certain OAuth flow that I don't know. Huh. <clears throat> it didn't seem like it would be something that would work, but. Or well, should work, and also you know, connected <clears throat> connected app should be like a globally unique thing. So either when you either they shouldn't even show up in sandboxes, which that would be a problem, or they would have to have different IDs and everything. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. Um, another related thing: Have you looked at the Salesforce PubSub API? They announced it like a year ago, I think. Yeah, I use it. You do? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So I'm going to have to start using this. Um, I still use the streaming API for push topics and change data capture and all these things, platform events, right? Uh-huh. I mean, when I'm external off the platform, which is always for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember the PubSub API, but I just, uh, they posted that it's like, it's going GA maybe. Uh, update July 6th, PubSub is now GA. So I, I might need, be using I need, a flavor on this. So there's, there's all kinds of flavors to 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 PubSub, but it, it shouldn't, it should include like the platform events, how you subscribe to that and yes. your channel messages, all of which I use. Yeah. So, um, platform events, change it to capture. Is that just, is that it? Um, uh, they don't, they don't I, mention I think you do custom message. Ah, uh, that's, that's not platform. Yeah. There's like some kind of message channel system that you that uses the same technology. I think. PubSub API guide. Let's see. Um, streaming API. I mean, I guess it. 
any any sports anything the streaming API supports anyway uh, pub sub's cool because it's it's a gRPC based and so with gRPC you know you just you have kind of like an IDL type of file that defines like what what things you can do with this what you can subscribe to and whatever mm-hmm. and then um, it can generate stubs for like every every language out there I mean Python C sharp Java whatever and so it makes it pretty easy to integrate these systems. And I guess, um, I don't know, if, I feel like, I think Google has like a canonical implementation for like the server side of mm-hmm. these. So, and I don't know if Salesforce uses that or if they just built it, they might've just built their own from scratch. I don't know. But yeah, I got to look into that because I, I think that, um, you know, the, the streaming API uses this, um, uh, what's it, the uh, Bayo? Bayo. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, what do they call that? A protocol? Yeah, the Bayo protocol. So that's what Comet D is an implementation of. Okay. So, and that's, you know, that's, it's, and may, you know what? GRPC pro- may be the same thing, um, long polling. And I think, I think Bayo, I think Comet D, it'll upgrade to WebSockets. So it attempts to do an upgrade. But if not, then it just mm-hmm. does long polling, I guess. I, I suspect, I don't know, maybe GRPC does the same thing. I mean, it has the same limitations as Comet or as Bayo does. It, it's, it's over the internet. Yeah. So, what protocols, I mean, and we're all, it's HTTP, it rules the world. So what can you do over HTTP? Well, I mean, you can do WebSockets nowadays. So that's probably, I don't know. But yeah, I got I to gotta get into that. I have a lot of work to do. I've got to get into that. What else did I realize? Um, but I know it here somewhere. Oh, this com- Salesforce Composite Graph API. Have you seen that? No. No, I, th- I thought you've talked about that before, though. I don't, maybe I have. Um, but it's, it's kind of like, have you ever used the, you see now how the REST API has all these composite functions or composite resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a while back, they added one called the, this has been around for a while actually, but the tree, the composite tree mm-hmm. resource. Yeah, remember and, you talking about that. Yeah, one. so you can give it, you know, let's say an account w- with its contacts, with mm-hmm. whatever, and like, and it, you just push it all up at one call and Salesforce, you know, creates them all in the right order and links them together and populates the references all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but this, there's other thing that's newer. This graph thing is newer composite graphs. I'm not even sure functionality wise. It, it seems similar. I was hoping they would have something that's like, Hey, here's how it's different than the tree, but they, they don't, um, hmm. the limits are higher though. So this, uh, composite graph API, it can, it can have a hundred sub requests in it. And it looks like a, like an unlimited. It's like an eight, you give it a, basically a a DAG, a, a directed acyclic graph of these you know nodes. Each one is a different. But one of those examples they have was pretty killer. So okay, here you go. In one call, you can push up data that creates an account, creates a second account that's parented by the first account, creates a contact under that second account, creates a second contact related to the first contact, and then a third contact that's like a reports to to the second contact. Also pushes up a campaign. I'm sorry, pushes up an opportunity that's parented by the second account. A, a campaign which is associated to that opportunity, and then a freestanding lead that is a campaign member of that campaign. Well, that's cool. So you build this kind of graph of mm-hmm. things in memory of where you know you got to build in a JSON structure eventually, right? Right. And then you can link them together with like the, re- you have to create reference. I think it uses reference IDs. Yeah. Right. So you, each of those things, you give it a, a reference ID 
And so when you create, you know, your contact you for account ID, you just give it the reference ID because you don't know what the count ID is yet. This hasn't been, account hasn't been created when you create right. this request, right? <clears throat> so you give it the reference ID of the, of the account you provided. And then, yeah, that's, I, I don't know why they just didn't increase the limits on the tree API. I don't know. There's got to be something different about the graph API, but it, it looks cool. I need to start using it. I have a few scenarios in Apex that I would love to use that for if, if, if it's available to, to that, but it's probably yeah. isn't. It's probably just an API. So in Apex, you still have to do, like, let's say you want to create an, an account with a with some contacts related to it. Mm-hmm. That's still two separate DML calls, right? Or yeah. can you do a graph type of thing or some kind of tree or, no. yeah. I mean, you could, you could, which is crazy to try to do. How it does with Apex an not support that? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, on, on Upsert, can you have like full, Im, like a full embedded Not a full contact? Graph, but I mean, yeah. for some related stuff, you can instantiate the object and, right. and have it create some things, but it's not, yeah. it's not bulletproof. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Not a great API. But I have something similar. I think it was a pattern I stole from, from the enterprise library, the, the financial force one. It's, it's like a bulk writer. Hey, you're a real fanboy of these, uh, libraries, John. I have to kind of like steal from it. Because <laughs> I can't use the whole framework. It's just too big and it's too much. So I just kind of steal patterns as I see them. And this one was pretty cool. Because it, what it does is it lets you um, add, I guess it was most, most like a worker pattern or something. It was part of the worker unit pa- or unit of work pattern. And uh, it lets me kind of add all these objects that need to be inserted or updated. But I can also specify when you create this object, it needs to be ref or it needs to add its reference to this other object I'm creating. So I'm going to create an account and contacts and just loading up this object in memory. And then I tell it to execute and it goes through and creates all the con. I have to give it the execution order, but it creates everything and then grabs all the references it needs to, as it's creating those. You're building that yourself. You built that yourself. Yeah. It's, it's simple. It's just a bunch of arrays and stuff. It's not complicated, but I mean, that's what it does. That saves me from having to write a method that says, okay, great, all the co- accounts. Now loop through all the accounts and find all its contacts and give them all those contacts its ID. Yeah. And then, and after that, now I have to add a bunch of stuff to those contacts to go and do that. It just it lets me do that. And I use it a lot for our batch gifting inter- interface yeah. that lets you create account, contact, opportunity, uh, designation, soft credits, all that data gets basically chunked into this object and it handles all the referencing and everything to join everything together. That's cool. And then yeah. why didn't you just use um, the, 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 what's it called? The FF lib. Oh, it, cause it, cause then I'd have to implement the whole unit of work pattern and everything. And I just wanted, I just wanted this one little bit. Okay. Um, so is it, you have a little bit of not invented here syndrome, John, what's the license on those, by the way, could, could we even use those? No, <sighs> I wrote, I hand wrote it. I just, I just took cues from it. FF lib. But uh, yeah. Okay, here we're going to see what the license is. Jeremy's <laughs> going to say I'm in trouble, but I did hand. Yeah, so this it. is this is not this is not a good license. It, it's not it's not it's not a court tested license that anyone's ever heard of. Mm. Why, don't, why wouldn't you just use like MIT or Apache or something? I don't know. I mean, you can't use this. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure people use it all the time, just without anyone knowing. Certainly, without their legal department knowing. Really, yeah, because I, I know a lot of people that, it, at least a lot when I read the forums and stuff, they're they're chunking that whole library into their code base and writing stuff on it. It might just be restrictive enough that that they're 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 not liable for anything. 
I mean, but, they, so they read their own license. It's, it says, you know, you can redistribute it in source and binary with or without modifications as long as you retain the copyright notice. Um, even binary, you must, let's see, re- reproduce the copyright notice. So that means what in your in your if you have a website that's like a on, built on a Salesforce site you got it at the bottom you have to have like this is know. copyrighted by Financial Force um, and then neither the name of Financial Force nor its contributors may be used to endorse or promote products derived. But anyway, I mean this, yeah. I mean it's not, it's not like these are unusual terms. It's just this you know the way software licensing works nowadays is especially with um, mm-hmm. like open source stuff. There's really just a handful of licenses that. Are considered. I mean, like, who was who was at the o, 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 the OSI, uh, mm-hmm. Open Source Institute, or whatever that they're basically reviewed and they they kind of bless certain. You know, there's a handful of licenses out there, um, and they you know you got everything from GPL, which is real restrictive, to again the more free ones like MIT and Apache, and there's a couple others. But these rando one-off licenses, like they're no, no one's reviewed them. They're not, and they're not, they're also not court tested. I mean, we know a lot, these are the major licenses. I mean, they've 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 gone through the courts. And mm-hmm. We, you know, you don't you don't have to do your own legal leg legwork on these, and you don't have to worry about how some judge is going to feel someday if they had too many cups of coffee. You know, and they're they're reviewing your case because you're getting sued by someone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because there's already legal precedent. Starry decisis. I recommend people use standard, use OSI approved licenses. Pick one. You can make a GPL if you want. I can't, I'm not gonna be able to use it if you do that, but at least we know what that means and that the courts know what GPL is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that's interesting. It, the thing says it's a BSD license. That's the other, that's another good license. It says it's BSD. Or, or the GitHub says it's BSD. It doesn't say BSD, but maybe, okay, so if that's BSD, yeah, it says it's, a, for some reason, I don't, it, the license itself doesn't say BSD, but maybe that is the BSD license. It says it's BSD3 clause new or revised license. Okay. So that's cool. Yeah. Well, anyways, I took the path. I, I would figure that Andy would have gotten that right, so I was kind of surprised that it, when I thought there for a minute that didn't have a but if that's bsd that's good that's a that's a pretty permissive license yeah who contributes to this andy fawcett john daniel anyway well john we um there was an interesting article about how oracle has lost the war to salesforce you see this I did. It's on my list. Okay. You want to talk about that? Yeah. I have a few other things I do want to talk about quickly. But well, go ahead. We can talk about that. Well, that's, this this one might be longer, so we can get to your other things. Oh. oh. Okay. <laughs> Man, I you know what? I have to... I didn't realize this. I was listening back to some of the last episode. Um, I don't know if it's... Because I've changed some of the audio a little bit, but I've got to stop lip smacking. I need you to like thump me or get a <laughs> bell or something every time I lip smack. I, I'm probably deaf to it now. It, it, I no, might have just, noticed it, it comes or... through on the recording mm-hmm. a lot. So anyway, Continue. I think I've started to ignore a lot of your stuff, but probably. Okay. Thank you. It's the only way to, to put up with me. Probably. 
Uh, well, one of them I thought would be a good discussion, but maybe I'll save that for another time because it's not time sensitive. But it was just how how some people in the community respond to people's questions. And I, I think I was going to use it as a tangent to say our Slack community is pretty great and, and because we converse about things and we talk about things. Um, so I'll I'll shorten this, but it essentially someone was asking, they said they were a new developer and they were asking a question about how to implement something. And of course they implemented it wrong. They, they're trying to uh, aggregate the number of accounts a user or a user owns and stick that on a field somewhere. And he put it, the, they, he or she, they, I don't know who, who it is, but they, they put the, a sample code up and of course they're doing a query within a loop and things like that. And some of the comments were kind of pissing me off. Like one of them was why? I mean, just no help at all. Just why? Or um, where was this? This this was actually on Reddit, um, where where this was at, where I saw it. Hmm. Um, but yeah, one of the one of the comments was why. Uh, another comment was was just kind of re- didn't even didn't even look like they read the code because they basically spit out the same query that was put in the que- in the question, which was basically do a count query. Um, and and the question itself was about how to bulkify that properly in a trigger. And of course, none of the answers seem to address that one issue. I mean, I know how to, how to solve it, but I just, I just thought it was kind of odd how some people in the community, they, the way they respond is, is kind of, I mean, almost confrontational. I mean, they're, they're, they're in the internet They're It's, it's like, why? Or one was like, this is a, this is an X, Y, Z problem. You don't have an understanding of how Salesforce works. In any case, we need more details. And it's like, he, he said he's new. You he said what? he's just trying to figure this out. And people are yeah. going like, you don't know what you're talking about, or why are you doing this, or that's stupid, or or this is the query you need to use without reading the code to show he's actually using that query. He's just using it wrong. It's not in, in a bulkified way. And so it was just it was just one of those things. Yeah. I actually caught myself the other day. Um I was I was having a long back and forth with someone I was helping them mm-hmm. on this a public a public forum. And in the middle of everything, I don't end up helping this person solve the problem, but in the other thing, and it was kind of a passing comment, but I said, you don't understand the threading model. Mm-hmm. And the person replied and said, well, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of realized that, or, you know, fine, I don't. And, and I thought, oh, that was not a, that was, you know, it's not, you know, that's kind of led a pass. I'm like, cause I, and I continued to help work, but it, that was not, it was not a helpful comment. Mm-hmm. And maybe what I meant to say was like, well, you should probably read more about the threading model. Here's a link or something, or I don't know. And like I said, I continued to help him, but I, I just kind of, I mean, for me, that uh, I didn't like the way that I know that oh, came, came out. Yeah. 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 yeah I, th- I think there's some people out there who probably lack the tech <laughs> and they, things come out in ways they don't mean them to, but I think the internet in general can just be really mean internet is the worst man i mean it's just i mean there's so many communities out there in, in the salesforce world that are much better places to get information i just i just i've seen it several times because i keep track of the salesforce uh reddit thread and i see people asking for help all the time and i see the responses some of them are great and and this one just seemed like at least at the time i looked at it it's gotten better since then but the time i looked at it, it was just a bunch of people just kind of not answering the question and just throwing shade at the guy or the yeah, person. Yeah. yeah. It's just, yeah, people can be jerks. I mean, that's why Twitter is garbage. All these things are garbage. Yeah. Uh, speaking of communities, uh, <laughs> this one's more of a, a, we should help Scott Wells out a little bit here. <laughs> mm. 
I think I think uh, you or I should like commission to do his YouTube video post for him because uh, he, he did a he did a recent video and I noticed this on the last video, but this one was ten times worse, and that was that his audio was so low. I had to turn oh. my speakers up all the way in order to hear it. But he has a new video on, on a new refactoring tool for IC or for Limited Cloud uh, for move members. So it allows you to kind of extract methods from from one class and move it to another, move it to a bunch of different places. And so uh, I think it's really interesting to see some refocusing on, on a lot of the refactoring stuff in Apex because I, I that's my day is refactoring. I, I'd write so many things and I try different things and Honestly, the refactoring built into the IDE has has been a time saver for me. Oh, that's one reason. I, I just it's hard for me to imagine switching from IntelliJ to something else. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's funny because on on things like Illuminated Cloud, um, I mean, there's documentation for it, but really, the best way that's a developer tool. Really, the best way to use it is just to get in and use it, but also, um, seeing the videos Scott does are really helpful. And I mean, there's a lot of things I've learned just from those videos uh, yeah. that I don't think I would ever, you know, because as, uh, with a developer tool like this, I think discoverability, it can be a problem. Like you don't even know it does. Mm-hmm. How, and you're like, well, how would I even know it does that? You know? Yeah. Um, well, one way I find out is about some of these things is just by watching these videos. Yeah. He, he does good videos, but I agree. It's sometimes the audio is really low. Yeah. Um, I don't know what he uses to record those. Some of these things will have like some kind of like um, audio compression function or like a, something's got like a leveling or normalization mm-hmm. that, that would help that. It's funny. Cause like I'll put on YouTube up on the TV in my living room, got a big TV in there and it'll be like, I'll, you know, YouTube will offer you just like what it thinks you want to watch. And there'll be like one of Scott's videos right there. <laughs> <laughs> but I've sat there in my living room yeah. and watched his videos before. <laughs> it's kind of funny when, for the longest time, I only consumed YouTube either on a PC or on my phone. So it was weird when I got an Apple TV and I started watching YouTube on a, on a TV. It was just, it was weird. Um, anyways. Yeah. To see people that I know and work with just on my TV. So, uh, yeah. So let's, let's move on to Oracle, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. So, the, I mean, this is a Business Insider um, article about, and it's called How Oracle Lost the Marketing Cloud War to Salesforce, According to Former Employees. Um, but yeah, I guess Oracle says they spent $4 billion creating an ad and marketing product or products, but it's failed to meet its goals. <clears throat> um, one of the things, in, so, okay, says the cloud giant spent $4 billion over six years to acquire leading marketing and ad tech startups like Blue Kai, Data Logics, and Moat to build the Oracle Marketing Cloud. And about a year later, the Oracle Data Cloud, which would become Oracle Advertising. Um, it says, in theory, okay, the new Oracle Data Cloud business would, would sync with other Oracle services like tech for sales or human resource departments, enticing clients to buy more Oracle technology, which would be a fixture across every facet of their business. And actually, it's kind of funny. I highlighted that because that's the sales, the sales sources model, right? Uh, Salesforce has done a much better job of that, I think. I'm going to read that again. This new Oracle Data Cloud business would also sync with other Oracle products enticing clients to buy more Oracle technology, which would become a, which would become a fixture across every facet of their business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in addition to you selling more stuff, that's also why, you know, we sometimes feel like Salesforce is just always throwing mud against the, the wall. Just every, I mean, they got a product for everything. And like some of, 
<laughs> so many of them need so much work and they're not integrated well and everything. But I mean, business strategy wise, um, you almost get, it's almost like network effects. Mm-hmm. Like the, one of the benefits of, you know, just getting involved with Salesforce is they got a solution for almost everything you're going to need. And to some degree or another, hopefully it'll kind of integrate with the other, the other products that it has. Yeah. And so you get, you gain some value there, right. By going with one vendor for a lot of all these different, you know, problems you have. <clears throat> yeah. And I think, I think, I think it was said, I don't know if it said it was before this or after that, but did, did they mention the, the, the kind of fusion project? Yes, I did. Uh, <clears throat> so this is all supposed to be wrapped into something. Else. I, th- I, I think it's further down. Maybe we'll get to that. Um, yeah. And it was, it was, I think it was intended to kind of bring all the products and kind of unify them. And I don't know what they meant by that. I don't know if they meant unifying the, the underlying architecture so that they were actually one product or if they just had clean and concise um, integration points between to where it was is extremely seamless. The only thing they said about it here was uh, it said one former employee said that they were hyper focused on the corporate mandate of merging everything into a single platform called Fusion. Yeah. But he didn't understand, this person didn't understand how Oracle advertising was going to fit into that. So that'd be like Salesforce saying everything's got to be on, what do they even call, what do they call their platform that like sales, you know, that we used to just call Salesforce that, you know, that has sales cloud, service cloud, all that stuff. What's that called? What is that platform called? I, just the platform, I think. I think, the, I mean, Salesforce only does one thing. And is that's that the, CRM. Is that the so sales, CRM platform. <laughs> is that the Salesforce one? No, no, the cell, the lightning platform would be a sales cloud. You know, the, the sales cloud is, is, is the de facto core. Salesforce only does one thing, which is CRM. I feel like my volume's still low. Some of that, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think sales cloud is the core. That's, that's, that's the platform. I mean, the marketing might, might disagree with me because they want to market every, the whole thing, the entirety is the platform. Yeah. But for those of us that have been working with Salesforce, it's, it's sales cloud. Yeah. Um, but that'd be like if Salesforce said that, you know, everything from uh, Marketing Cloud to MuleSoft and Tableau and Slack, they all have to port all their applications over to that Salesforce platform. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I mean, I don't like Salesforce. I don't see even. why you could. I mean, you could even build Salesforce on Salesforce. You could. So why not build Tableau or whatever on yeah, it? Exactly. Just port it over. That's yeah. not a big deal. Right? You see how I'm sinking? I just keep sinking. <laughs> chair God. um where where'd my article that's sure just your depression kicking in yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is interesting they also said that they these people say so this i guess these anonymous former employees that even so even the oracle spilt, spent four billion dollars on this they they claimed that the company where to go failed to invest in marketing cloud and and um, Oracle advertising suffered from a lack of investment too. Now you think, well, gosh, how do you, how do they, they if they spent four billion dollars, how do you say they're failing to invest? But when you look at the money that Salesforce has spent, not only on acquisitions but also just internal uh-huh. um, stuff, I'm sure it's a lot more than four billion. Yeah, I mean, how much was Slack? How much was Tableau? I mean, this. Yeah, I know marketing cloud was forever ago, but that was like what a couple billion. Yeah, it was at the time their biggest acquisition ever. Yeah, and this is interesting. Do you remember when? Um, well, let me start with the Facebook thing. So, 
what was that? Cambridge Analytica? Was that the company that supposedly was yeah. like, whatever? Yeah. Okay. So Facebook banned all these marketing companies like Oracle. I don't know. I assume Salesforce got banned too from, from selling the Facebook audience information to its customers, right? Mm-hmm. To, after that Cambridge Analytica thing. And I saw, I think that hurt probably everyone's business, but that's one thing they're saying here. And then you had that, uh, what was the cookie cookie thing that, um, was it Apple that pretty much put the death knell in the, in the targeting act, uh, the marketing cookies or whatever? Probably. Um, where was that? I don't know if that was in here or not. I, I don't remember reading that in here, but. Uh, Oracle Advertising Recovery Building Products of Advertise Adapt to the planned phase-out of ad targeting cookie. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Apple Apple really killed that, which is which is good. Thank you, for, Apple. For consumers, yeah. 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 And then uh, further down, I didn't read all this, but just skimmed it. But that's, it says that, you know, Salesforce was offering, Salesforce killed Oracle by offering massive discounts on all these competitive yeah. products. While at the same time, Salesforce keeps meeting all their financial projections growing 20 21 percent a year they're, they're gonna really, they got earnings coming out soon. well I was, I was gonna mention that that's on so my february list march april may june july right so their q2 it's next ended. week they're, they're gonna announce it next week yeah no next, next week okay yeah okay yeah it's gotta be i'll do a quick tangent on that and that was because i noticed all of these and i say all of these i saw two articles and that means that the entire Entirety of the internet is talking about this, <laughs> um, but I felt like they were protecting Salesforce because they're like, "Well, why? Why is companies like Salesforce being so undervalued? Why aren't they being valued like all these hot unicorns right now?" I was like, "Well, why are they talking about this?" And it's because they're about to do their uh, their Q two results, and apparently, it's going to be mixed. Yeah, I think I saw that, saw that too. Um, it's funny because all these different analysts companies mm-hmm. they'll have the same i mean it's it's, it's weird it's, it's media it's such, in general they scam. all no, just parrot each such other a scam of how these companies it's not a scam it just it's the game it's the game it's the game they yeah. they leak all this out mm-hmm. because they don't want a big sudden hit to a, the stock price so they're like yeah you know of course they give guidance mm-hmm. um i mean they'll after they've re- released their you know their results next week they'll give guidance for the next quarter but then Throughout that quarter, leading up to the next time they release results, they're going to continue to dial that guidance in. But a lot of it, it's like this kind of stuff, it's all private. They're just, you know, there's probably you know, maybe 10 analyst firms that they mm-hmm. just, they're just calling and saying, hey, it's completely anonymous, obviously. I mean, they have relationships with all these people. But here's what we're looking at. We're going to, we're going to hit top line. We're going to miss a little bit on the, on the bottom line, which is the situation they're in right now, supposedly. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, once all the uh, accounting uh, chicanery has been completed, they end up doing better. They usually guide Salesforce always guides low mm. to the point. The problem with that is then you can't believe you can't ever believe them. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, when you when they beat and raise I don't th- I don't every time asking for that, they they want them to 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 beat them every time. Well, they want to know what to expect. Right, they want to know what to expect. That's not, what analysts not, not want. In That's what everyone wants. Times. No, they I do. I think once upon a time they want to know what they expect, but not in these <laughs> modern times of of just 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 make it look good so that we can keep recommending this stock, or make it look good so that we can keep you know doing my my quarterly sell off here. Well, and make make a buck. Yeah, it's really the analysts will need to look good to their clients. Yeah, and so make me look good to my clients. Everyone's got a boss. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then kind of the punchline at the end of this thing is this is a quote from this. Anonymous former employee, um, 
maybe we'll just admit that Salesforce has won. Well, I mean, <laughs> I read that and I, I just kind of, I kind of felt defeated myself in some ways. I, it just seems, you know, having tossed so much money around to, to end up losing like that, I guess, is, is kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of sad. I just, yeah. It's kind of sad how, that these companies <laughs> have billions to, to throw away like that to, how, to not succeed. I mean, because the, <laughs> it's not, they're not the only ones spending billions on failed products. I mean, Metaverse right now is, is a failed product and it's, and they're throwing billions at it. Oh, they're, they're really, um, tightening down the screws too. Is that what, is that the well, term? Actually, all of them, yeah, Oracle, Amazon, everyone's doing mass layoffs or, or, and the people that they do have, they're worried about losing them to, to the competitors. It's just, it's this odd spectrum of mass layoffs to try to improve profits and trying to entice and keep the good ones so that they don't go to other companies that are, that are also trying to kind of rework their, their org structure. Yeah. These things always get leaked, but you know, face, I just slip smacked again, Facebook, um, you know, their memo or whatever about, um, hiring and stuff got leaked. And then Google's, I think most recently got leaked. Mm-hmm. They, uh, had a memo. I don't know if this is something that went to all employees or not, but it was, um, they said that they had a lot of concerns about productivity and they need to get more out of less. I'm like, that's always been the case. That is business. Um, did you just, you know, but people, know. but they, people were hot. You know, here's the thing for, for the, the entire time, probably that we've been doing this podcast, the whole business world has been punch drunk on zero in uh, interest rate. Fed policy. We've talked about that in the past. This that affects all this. It's it has enabled Salesforce and their their financial and business model. It's enabled, and I just pick on them. I mean the company, you know, companies across industries across everywhere have been taking advantage of this. Uh-huh. It's free money. They can do all kinds of weird stuff with it. Um, it affects everything from you know their cost of funds to Financial expectations to um, uh, uh, stock-based compensation. I mean, these things all tie in. And that party seems to be coming to an end. <laughs> um, I don't know if you, you know, look at interest rates or, the, or like even like mortgage interest rates. I mean, things are, they're, they're going up. Um, yeah. Turns out we have a terrible inflation problem. But the people in charge don't want to really admit it that much. They denied it for the longest time. Now they kind of have to admit it, um, but they don't, you know, no one wants to be the the people in charge that have to raise interest rates because that really slows down businesses. You're going to have mass layoffs and all that kind of stuff, but you have to get your currency under control. Or maybe you don't because it's all funny money anyway. We If we haven't proven that over the past 10 or 20 years, then I don't know what you have to do. Uh, just put it all in NFTs. There you go. That sounds like a sound... That's an obvious joke advice. for anybody out there. Do not go buy <laughs> <Yeah>. NFTs. <laughs> Who's it? Tom Tom Brady lost a, f- a literal fortune on some dumb NFTs he bought. Man, <laughs> was it a for- was it a fortune in coin though? No, no, it was NFTs. He li- yeah, he- but I mean, mostly you buy NFTs with coin. So oh, I don't know. I'm not sure how he bought the NFTs, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All right, let's get to your stuff, John. Well, oh, that's that was less that than was I thought. Oh, was it? Okay. 
I mean, I don't know any summary about that. I mean, it's been interesting to watch. You know, I feel like, and I don't pay attention to Oracle that much, but we used to get, it was really fun listening to Mark slam Oracle and yeah. Larry slam Salesforce. Whatever happened, those were the good old days. Yeah, I, I, I miss that. Maybe that was part of what I was feeling. Because like I said, at the end of that article, when they said maybe we should have submitted, we lost. It kind of, it bummed me out. And I don't know why it bummed me out. I thought maybe it was because all that money was spent and, and nothing happened with it. Or maybe it was, maybe it's that. Maybe it's the fact that it's just like giving up. I mean, we, I mean there's, there's no competition anymore. It's just like, yeah, yeah, they got that. We'll, we'll do this other thing over here. Yeah, and we we definitely, I mean, we need... I feel like we need some more, you know, Larry in our in our lives. I mean, it just it seems like for as exciting as the tech industry has been of late, with all their grandiose ideas, their their grandiose campuses and their mindfulness and everything else, and now that they're having to squeeze everything back, they're they're it's like they're they're um they're like insecure little puppies going into their corner. Yeah. It's not fun. I mean, we're it's not fun. Where are we gonna get things like this going forward? You can't do this with Salesforce. Can't can't do that with Oracle. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. We need to update it. Or, or this one. I like this one. When you say CRM, you're showing your age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Oh, well, I, I, I posted this article on here, not because I want to get into the whole agile waterfall sprint thing, but just this person in this article had said something that I thought was funny. Uh, and I'll quote him or can you can you remind me what article we're talking about? Um, so this is an article called Agile Projects Have Become Waterfall Projects with Sprints. Oh, they have. I mean, yeah. but, I mean we've talked about we, that all. I saw that happening 15 years ago. Death. But uh, this, this, this is in the book Sooner, Safer, Happier, Anti-Patterns and Patterns for Business Agility. The writers complain products do agile instead of being agile. Agile has become a product instead of a mindset. And it goes on to quote saying, it's agile snake oil, cookie cutter agile, agile in a box. Install it and you will be agile. It's agile for agile's sake. Um, the word means nothing. It's me. And agile yeah. products have had all the agility squeezed out of them. Um, so I don't know. I just. A- agile, uh, you know, I have to say, you know, technical project agility requires business agility and requires mm-hmm. the business to understand in it and and promote it and endorse that philosophy. Yeah. And I, I mean, 90% of products that I see that are called agile, the business has not bought into it. And, you know, you got to give people credit for trying. Sure. But when the business is not plugged into it, then you're just, you're LARPing. Yeah. Agile LARPing. And I think it's even harder for, for consultancies uh, because they're constantly having to sell that. That methodology. It's not like an internal thing where you sell it. Oh yeah. You sign on to it and everyone's on board doing it. You have to sell it and get everyone on board every time you start a project, which makes that ten times more difficult. But anyways, the last quote on here, which I which I was leading up to, which I thought was funny, was when the world ends, there will still be agile projects running late and being delivered by cockroaches. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. Sadly, I I agree with all that. Um, People, you know. They still think they know everything up front on the project, what they need out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they want guarantees on when it's going to be done, exactly what it's going to cost, what it's going to do. And the truth, all those things, is we don't know. And yeah. we should take an approach that minimizes our risk. I can't guarantee you what you're going to get and when you're going to get it. But I can give you 
a methodology that is has the best shot at getting you something that's valuable while minimizing your risk. And people, that just blows people's heads up when you say that still. Mm-hmm. Don't want to hear it. Yeah. Um, now, I, I, I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush. I mean, there are people that do understand that. And I, and I love when I have a conversation and I make that spiel and they're like, absolutely. We've been through projects where they promised the world and gave us all these, this big project plan with all these dates when everything's going to be done. And it's just all lies. It never works out that way. And we're sick of it. And we want honesty. And we, we do want something that is going to minimize our risk. Yeah. That's when yeah. I'm like, great. You're a great client. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, the other thing I had on here was apparently, and I don't know if this is official or not, but I guess Insider has access to a, a leaked version of the org chart. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, I, I think I did. I thought I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, the funny thing about that was no one reports to Benioff anymore. I know. There's like two people <laughs> on this org chart that report to Benioff. <laughs> You can't even say Brett reports to Benioff because no, they're, they're, co. they're co. So who reports to Mark Benioff? Um, even Parker, even Mark, even Parker. Mark, Mark I pushed off that. Parker to Brett. I, my mouth dropped. I was like, "Why is Parker not release reporting to Benioff?" Well, this, this, yeah. Here's here it is. Um, this represents what you know. I think we've all known for a long time. You know. Well, they, I mean, recently there's a lot of changes to the executive team. So some people shifted around and moved into other roles. Or, or, I mean, they're all C level people, but they all moved on. And there, there was some confirmation of some other people that left that I hadn't even heard of, heard from in a while, like, uh, uh, Tony profit. I didn't know he'd left. You know what? I was thinking about him the other day. I'm like, I haven't, you know, cause he was always part of those, you know, yeah. uh, look at all the stuff we're doing. Um, yeah. Who replaced him? Nobody. I don't think, I think the, just vacated the position. T- Tighten the belts a little bit. You know? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, chief, what was he? Chief diversity officer or something like that? Something chief equality like officer? Yeah, yeah something got, like Gotta that. go. Gotta go. Don't have the budget anymore. <laughs> there was too many CEO. There was, there was redundant CEO, right? Chief CEQO. CEQ. Oh, okay. Just like, you know, you know what CISO is? No. Chief information security officer. Oh, yeah, okay. that extra S in there. Just to differentiate it from CEO. Yeah, yeah. or CIO, I guess. Yeah. It's a developer name. It has yeah. to be unique. Um, I like this. You know, everyone's got a chief revenue officer. That, that kind of name kind of cracks me up now. Yeah, what is up with that? I, you know, I don't know. Uh, let me look up the definition. They're responsible for all revenue generation processes in an organization. They're accountable for driving better integration and alignment between all revenue-related functions, including marketing, sales, customers. I mean... I guess that's almost like it's almost, you know, some of these things can become indistinguishable from like a president or a CEO as well. Yeah, I think they're just additional layers of focus, just a, a hyper focus. You know who hires a CRO is a CEO who's like, I really want to piece part out in my job so that I actually don't have to do anything. Well, yeah. <laughs> so you have a COO that runs all operations. You have, mm-hmm. and then you And then you hire, hire a CRO. That's responsible for all, for all revenue-generating functions or whatever. It's like, well, what does that leave the CEO? Well, Mark Benioff. <laughs> with, with two people reporting to him, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're just, you know, you end up being the, um, thing, I don't know, the, the chief, um, the ch- you know, when you want to close that giant deal, that's when you bring that guy in. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Or... 
you know, it's still the face. If if it's if it's um someone who's what's the word charismatic, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know that's you keep they're they're a prop, a stage prop. I've seen less of him though of late. I, I feel like I have too, but I also feel like I don't pay attention. Like I, as I mean, much even anymore. in the last few news things that I've saw, it was Brett Taylor doing the interview. Yeah, when's uh, when's the World Economic Forum meet up in Davos? I mean, uh, we'll, we'll get a lot of Benioff. Yeah, I'm when sure, that we'll comes. get more of that. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what his presence is like at Dreamforce and how much of a presence. There but is. I mean, how long has it been since you felt like Mark was really plugged into? Oh, it's. I mean, I've been I've been saying for for years, and I'll just keep saying it until it comes true. Is he's he's. He wants to focus on other things. Well, yeah, he's got, you know, his trillion trees. He's got Time Magazine. He's got um, mm-hmm. the hospital. Yeah, he's got, a, he's got a lot of stuff going on. Sure, he's got a presidency uh, run in him somewhere. <laughs> I don't think he's interested in that, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that they're the, I think that the ego and the char- the charisma is there for it. So we'll see. I mean, what, yeah, hey, what, yeah, what, what party would he even run on? Because we know this. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I'm an American. The American party? The Libertarians. Start a new party. <laughs> I don't think he, I think he wanted to start his own thing. You know, this is Mark. He's going to start yeah, his own party. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be the uh, uh, politics cloud. <laughs> no. Uh, USA yeah, cloud. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What, what, what do we have here? What was this one? We're not a Democrat company or a Republican company. Yeah. <laughs> we're, an, we're an American company. It's, uh, Zuckerberg, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Audio on that one's much better. Yeah. Well, John, gosh, we've been blowing hot iron here for a long time now. Yeah, I'm sure people are sick of listening to I us. Know. Um, but for real, um, sign up for the meetup. If you're going to Dreamforce, it's Thursday afternoon, like after Dreamforce winds down. That's in our Conversations channel, which is our Slack. And if you're not in our Slack, please come join us. It's at www.gooddaysirpodcast.com, mm-hmm. and you just click on Community. Um, also, yes, please get your sticker requests in so you have uh, so you can put up stickers everywhere in San Francisco. Info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. Just give us your uh, your shipping address and how many stickers you want. We can send them anywhere in the world. Anywhere. I think so. I think you need to be careful with that statement. I think so. To the magic of the U.S. Postal Service, and it's, there might be some places in the rainforest that might not be accessible to. I mean, stickers. If the mail service gets there, or the post, <laughs> is it the post? <laughs> the post. Yeah. Then, uh, then we can get you stickers. Ah, uh, what else, John? Let's wrap this thing up. That's it. Join the Slack if you haven't already. It's a great place. Gooddaysirpodcast.com or sorry, www.gooddaysirpodcast.com. Because John hasn't fixed that yet. I can't fix it. We need a tech guy. I need you to fix it. We need a tech gal or a tech guy. Someone needs a volunteer for us. <laughs> I think I just need to change who are, who's hosting our domain because their, their tooling doesn't allow for it for some reason. Fireside? Is no. he still? No, it's not Fireside. Oh, it's not Fireside. Oh, no. Okay. I don't even, I don't know how this stuff works. That's your, that's your job. <laughs> uh. All right. That's all I got, John. You got anything else? No, are you ready? I'm waiting for you to be ready. I'm ready. You just, I mean, I keep giving me these opportunities. <laughs> yeah, but you did that before. You'd look at me and I'd do it and you were like, oh, I'm not ready. You're like, I feel like we're, uh, you know, middle schoolers and we just come home on a date and our, our high schoolers and like the girl's waiting for the boy to kiss, kiss her. I'm just waiting for you to, I've given, I, I, I've I am, given you plenty of opportunities. I am a here. shy and secure person. I know you are. I, I need, I need the other, the other side to be the, uh, aggressive one, the forceful one. 
How do I do that for you, John? I don't know. A little peck right here. Yeah. <laughs> and to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. When you say CRM, you're showing your age. Did I die? No. Somehow you uploaded yourself to the cloud. It's too expensive. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. Go get your badges.